the, the real moment occurred about two years before the actual bankruptcy. Yeah. Right? Because bankruptcy takes time. Mm-hmm. So two years before, I was out of control. I wasn't happy. I was empty. I surrounded myself with people that weren't working, that had too much money, and that were self-medicating in a variety of different ways to make themselves happy. Nothing I had done in order to get me there, but now I was searching in the wrong places. Instead of searching for expansion into my beautiful family that I had and this wonderful stuff, I was searching in the wrong places, and I was filling voids with the wrong things. I came home at 5 in the morning after lying to my wife, I was at the Grammy Awards with Little John. I already had been working for Lee Steinberg. And I had come home uh, intoxicated. And I had lied to her and said I had a business meeting in Orange County because that's where I I was commuting from Rancho Santa Fe. And she obviously knew I was lying. And she probably knew other lies that I had been telling her. And I walked into this beautiful courtyard, four-car garage, the glass doors, and there she is, five feet tall. And she looked at me and she said, go upstairs. And when you wake up, we're going to talk because I'm not happy. I get joked up still about this one. Dave Meltzer is an entrepreneur, author, humanitarian, and current CEO of Sports One Marketing, which is a global marketing agency. On today's episode, we sat down and discussed his approach to business, how he bounced back from that bankruptcy, and the strategies he's now deployed to reinvent his success. Here are some of his current projects, the Super Bowl, the Masters, Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Unstoppable Foundation, and many more. He was 2016's Variety Magazine Sports Humanitarian of the Year, an unbelievable recognition. He followed former President Bill Clinton. He's a two-time number one bestselling author, and he's been recognized as a top keynote speaker by both Forbes and Entrepreneur. More recently, Meltzer took on a producing role. He's a judge and host of Entrepreneur's original show, which is also the number one digital business show called Elevator Pitch. I'm hoping to be on that one day as a judge. Dave, can we make that happen? Since launching, they've scored over 21 million views. Finally, Meltzer is the host of a top five business podcast on iTunes. I was on that. It's called The Playbook. Check out our interview when you're done this one. I'll include the link in our show notes. Welcome to an all-new episode of Student Up Podcast. This is a show where I delve into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs like Meltzer, and entertainers, interviewing them and unpacking the psychology of their success. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Enjoy my conversation, the Strategy Podcast, with Mr. Dave Meltzer. Wow, really excited to have you in person. We've been trying to do this for a year. We've connected in person. I've been on your podcast, The Playbook. My favorite. Yeah. I got great feedback from that. I loved so it. it at South really, By. I could have done it for like three hours. That was the only problem. Yeah. I, I think uh, we had a great vibe going. We talked a lot about emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. which I, I sense this will likely go to. Uh, two weeks ago, I recorded with Adam Grant, and, and most of it was on EQ and work-life communication in sports and in business. And uh, with you specifically, a successful entrepreneur, business builder, now business coach, speaker, prolific speaker, I should say, and philanthropist, there's a lot to unpack. So while I was doing research with Andrew sitting in the room with us, we said, you know what, why don't we create this as a strategy pod? So called a strat pod and like use this opportunity to sit down with Dave and all the experience that you have in the workplace and then even more so in life um, and just be able to cut through different verticals or silos in business. We'll cross over into sports as you're heavy involvement in sports and we'll see where it takes us. I love it. Let's do it. Cool. So let's talk with entrepreneurship. So you uh, undergrad business, graduate school, law, law school. Yep. And, uh, and then spilled into tech. 
and had a number of successes in that field and had a really seminal moment in your career that you reference often where you went bankrupt. Yep. So, you know, growing up poor is really where it started because I wanted to be rich. And I had really attached my happiness to this outcome that the reason I want to be rich, though, wasn't what most probably normal poor kids. I just wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. Like that really, I know it sounds stupid. Mm-hmm. I still get no, choked up. But like it was such a dream that living six kids in a two-bedroom apartment in Akron, Ohio, that someday I'd be able to buy my mom a house and a car was like extraordinary uh, goal. And I attached so much to it. And, you know, I went through different phases of wanting to be a professional athlete and working really hard at that and yeah. learning all these lessons. I was blessed to be with Reggie Love today. And it was cool because he phrases his life, which I thought was cool, is like I was one of those guys, my goal was to make the team. You know, like I've just been a role player and I've been on really good teams. I was on, you know, Duke, yeah. right? And then I went to Obama's team and yeah. now I'm at Transatlantic, right? Yeah. And so he's always been a role player where I, with very little talent, really thought bigger of myself. Like I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted yeah. to be the captain, the star of the team. And that bled over into, look, I better do something else. And at first it was going to be a doctor. Then I quickly learned you how to be in hospitals, which is, I always add this lesson for entrepreneurs. My oldest brother who was in his residency told me, be more interested than interesting. Because I went to him in the hospital I'm like, hey, I hate hospitals. He's like, Dave, you're in pre-med. You hate hospitals. I didn't, I was 18. And the reason I say that is so many people want my job. And I know they talk to you. Like I dream, Paul, of being like you. They come to me and like, oh, my dream is to end up like you. Well, I don't think you've done your due diligence. You're not more interested than interesting. When I was the CEO of Lee Steinberg, so many people, some didn't even know my name. They'd say, Mr. McGuire, I want to be just like you, a sports agent. Yeah. And I would say, be more interested than interesting. Go find a mentor that does that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I progressed through my career. I made a critical business choice out of law school. I could have been a litigator and made a lot of money, mm-hmm. oil and gas, or got involved in the internet. And I asked my mom, my mentor, what should I do? Without blinking, she said, be a real lawyer. Don't, this internet thing's a fad. And that's where I made a critical decision that just because somebody loves me, and this is an entrepreneurial lesson, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. And so many times we ask the wrong people for advice because they care so much about us, but they know nothing about what we're asking. And we think somehow that those two equate to a real answer. Well, they don't. And worse, now we've alienated the people that gave us the advice who care for us the most and we resent them. And we end up with these skewed relationships (laughs) and lose support. Yeah. And because we asked the wrong person for advice. Real quick, you know, you have a great relationship with your mother. I have a great relationship with, with my folks as well and would ask them just as you for certain advice on job and uh, relationships and sport. So would it be fair to say that a salve to that is potentially having three mentors of different upbringings that you can get a balanced level of feedback from and then allow your kind of guttural level of experience to decipher? Absolutely. I always say I have three mentors. Three mentors. And I pick them, though, not by the class or the, the situation. It's not by their class, right? I don't need that perspective unless that was my decision. My decision with my mentors are always by situational knowledge. So if I'm looking for esports and I'm yeah. getting involved in esports as an investment, I go to the people that are involved and I ask them for help. 
Yeah. And I always offer help as well. I say, hey, look, I come with skills, knowledge, and desire as well, but I'm going to the people that have paid the dummy tax already. And I think that's what makes me such an extraordinary business coach is I paid a lot of dummy tax. Hmm. And I'd rather just, and I'm very transparent. I illuminate my issues and I let people know, look, here's two problems in life, ego and time, for example. I spent a lot of time trying to coach people on their ego and how to deal with time because they're both really illusions that get in our own way. And if you can master your ego in time, you will see that you can accelerate and exponentially uh, attract what you want. It's amazing. What about is it that is different between uh, ego and time? When, when I think and hear you say that, I think ego is more malleable. You can learn through therapy, psychology, mentorship. Time feels more concrete. You obviously think differently. So walk me through how those are kind of adjustable. Right. So I agree. Ego is adjustable because it's your perspective. Mm -hmm. It truly is. It's the need to be right. The need to be offended. It's the need to be superior, inferior, the need to have guilt, fear. Those change by perspective. I believe that time is not mathematical. And I give people some changeable thoughts. I say to them, think about something that happened 10 years ago. Does that seem like a long time ago? Invariably, people most likely say, no, God, it was yesterday. Yeah. Now think about yourself 10 years from now. How long, especially if it's hard work. Mm -hmm. Put yourself through med school and residency and tell me how long those eight years are. Now look back eight years ago when you just finished college. Oh, that went by so quickly. Time's different. And it's the same as ego. It's perspective. And where the difference came in is this idea that I attached all of my happiness to being rich directed towards a specific goal, which was to make my mom happy, which she sacrificed so much for me, that that was going to be my success, my why, my purpose. And what I learned was, what if I changed time in my mind and I said, I'm just going to enjoy my happiness is going to be derived from pursuing my potential of how wealthy I can be. And and by detaching the, the, I still have outcomes. And I'm careful to not put a linear time frame on my outcomes, but I'm very specific. Like people say, I'm going to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30, which was one of my goals. Arbitrary, yeah. That kills the universe. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, we, I'm going to go out and try to be an actor in LA. And when I turn 30, if I, did, if I didn't become successful, I'm going to go back east. And people do that. And then they feel and disappointed then, when they turn 30. Yeah. And most actors and actresses actually hit it when they're 33 and 34, which is like the, the funny kind of database statistic behind it. So they're all leaving three years too early. Yeah. Plus, if you want to make uh, God laugh, just come up with a well-developed plan. Yeah. Uh, so I've extracted that. Um, so I come up with things like, I want to double the amount of money I make as quickly as I can. That plays with the universe. It plays with the, right? It's that enjoyment. I'm going to enjoy hmm. that pursuit of whatever the new projects as I started a TV show or a podcast or whatever. I, everyone else was so stressed and there's anxious, you know, hey, we only have this many listeners or this many followers yep. when I started, you know, and I, I literally, in in December of last year, told my entire team, I had a a meeting of my team, we have 50 employees, and they said, what's your greatest fear for next year? I said, this company's going to break. They said, what? What are you talking about? I go, because our following's growing so quickly. And they looked at me and said, Dave, you have 2,000 Instagram followers. I said, I know, but two months ago, I had 200. I'm doing something right, yeah. and I know my reach. That 2,000 turns to 4,000, turns to 60, and now I'm where I'm at where 
we're breaking, right? We have so many DMs. Yeah. You, you're there. You get it. No, and you got to control it. So it's really important to stay very focused on enjo- in the enjoyment of what you're doing with goals. And it, it doesn't mean when I say detach from outcome, you still have to have the big goals. Too many guys just accept that underwear will either chafe, it'll ride up, fall apart after a few wears, and we deserve better. That's what Saks Underwear is all about. It's underwear that's reinvented. Saks challenged the industry status quo and created what they call the ballpark pouch, where everything stays put. There's complete separation from your thighs where there's no friction. You can move around comfortably no matter what you're doing. And if you're like me, you go from the gym to the field to the podcast studio back to the office. And every pair of Saks is made with the highest quality materials, which are made to last. And we've worked with Saks Underwear on this great limited time deal for all of you. You can shop from anywhere on their site and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. And to cash in on this great offer, you need to use my promo code, which is RABEL at checkout. So order a few pairs of Saks now with this great offer by heading to Saks Underwear, which is S-A-X-X, underwear.com, and use the promo code RABEL at checkout. Remember, SaksUnderwear.com, promo code RABEL. Now enjoy. As a big goal, is, this is something that, I, that I've yet to do. It's, it's actually something that I've, I've been contemplating and I have on my agenda when I find free time to do so, and I want to consult the right people on it. But when, when you were that age saying, I want to make a lot of money and give back to my mother, did you ever quantify uh, the amount of money that it would take to do that? And that's one scenario. The, 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 the other scenario that, that Ryan Holiday, I'd, heard, I'd listened to, to one of his uh, podcasts that he was speaking on recently, and it, or it may have been his written blog, but he had recommended it because there's so much stress and pressure that we put on ourselves because there's this yearning to just make more. And he said, well, stop and calculate because you may already be at the place where you need to be. Great point. So, so did you ever do that? Yeah, so, so different how? phases of my life. First phase was I wanted to be a millionaire. Right, I wanted to have one million dollars because, in my mind, after taxes, one million dollars bought my mom a house, mm. it bought my mom the car, anyone that she wanted. I lived in California, that's how old I am. A million dollars would buy a house and a car, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it would pay out back the hundred thousand dollars of law loans. And I did that in nine months out of law school, mm. and I wanted to do it in my mind by the time I, by the time I was 30, it yeah. wasn't at 30, but by the time, and it, in nine months, and it's amazing because. At that time, because I detached the outcome again, I didn't know what to do again. Like I, I, I had these periods in my life where I'm like, shoot. And I had to reformulate what happiness was. So then it was, I'm going to retire by 30. Hmm. Right? I'll never have to work again. And I did that. But then it was, well, I want to retire in San Diego, California in Rancho Santa Fe yeah. next. Yeah. I just, and you know, then I married this beautiful girl and had these kids and they keep yeah. changing until I finally literally got to a point where I had everything that I wanted. I had been CEO of Samsung's first phone division, the first smartphone. I had successes. I got some speaking engagements around the world, which I loved, but I had respect my community, my, but I had a lot of jealousy in my life. I had a lot of anxiety. Yep. I, I was lost. And as you know, I lost everything. Yep. And that's, so let, let's yeah. get to that. So, okay. so you, you did decide to jump into the internet. Yes. 
was there anyone that, and this is how I, I suspected our conversation to go, just rifting back and forth. That's good, good. Was, was there anyone specifically that pushed you there because your mom wanted you yes. to be a lawyer? What helped me a lot was I had gone my first year in law school to Greece to study maritime law, oil and gas law. And my professor who convinced me to go to Greece, uh, Professor Ianopoulos, was a very wealthy professor because he wrote the civil code for West Publishing. It's the, tree, the Napoleonic Code, the mm -hmm. civil tree. He had a monopoly. The only state in the union that has civil code is Louisiana, and he wrote it, and every lawyer has to buy it. International lawyer, oil and gas lawyer, all these things, right? Rich is all get up. Yeah. He takes me to Greece, falls in love with me. When I'm applying for jobs, he comes to me my third year in law school and said, oh, I got a job for you, Dave. And it was a sales job, mm. selling legal research online. Yeah. And Boom. I don't even know what online is. Yeah. Right? This is early stage, right? This is early 90s. Huh. And this, and because of his credibility, and he kept telling me, and he pushed me to through the interview process, and he gave me a great recommendation, and I ended up being one of four people that they gave offers to for this great job. And it paid a lot of money. But, you know, in my, in my mind, I kept saying, Gosh, I took, my mom made me still take the bar, but my thoughts were, gosh, if I don't do this, you know, I can always be a lawyer, mm -hmm. but if I don't do this, what do I have to lose? Like the expense account was extraordinary. I love to sell. Yeah. That didn't bother me at all. Yeah. And the truth was, I really didn't love the law, right? I went to law school for opportunity. My dad had gone to get educated. He, he never was a real lawyer, but I had gone there to make money. It wasn't as if I was one of these people that loved to sit and study law and I was good at moot court and litigation, but man, I love sales. I, 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 the reason I got the job, by the way, because this is a good lesson for entrepreneurs, because I always say, do what you have to do. I couldn't afford uh, to go to Greece. And so it was $2,500, this is how old I am, $2,500 for the program. Yeah. And so I woke up at four in the morning, and you'll know this company. I sold tennis shoes, incoming phone calls at Roadrunner Sports, hmm. your number one superstore, yeah. right? Yeah. Asics and New sure. Balance, the yep. 660, right? So, and I was their top sales rep from four in the morning till nine, incoming East Coast calls selling out of a catalog back then in San Diego, California, and then I'd rush to the law firm and clerk so that I would have enough money in half the summer to go to Greece for the other half. I wonder if there, for those out there that have a level of expertise, and in your case, we'll use your example, in legal, and there's peaked interest in a new uh, industry like the internet, that it, instead of feeling like, hey, it's one or the other, try to find an entry point that had to do with you, which was legal online. And, and I think that there are oftentimes we put these like hard stops or roadblocks in front of our perceived destination. And we don't think critically about like, hey, I possess these, these skills professionally and certain talents. Let me see if I can integrate that into an industry of choice. And that's what you did. Right. So yeah. many, I, I've been I blessed right. to be on these great athletes <laughs> and I tried to train them of this. There's three worlds, not enough. I see it with athletes all the time. They live in a world of not enough. Yeah. Constant. And they, they have a lot, but they live in the world of not. Then there's the world of just enough. And then there's guys like Paul Rabel that live in a world of more than enough. And I talk about it all the time with my charity, which I'm sure we'll get to later mm -hmm. on. But I, people ask me, well, Dave, why do you raise so much money for Kenya, for the Masamari? You're doing a leadership and empower. What about America? And I said, wait a second. Crescent Moon Foundation is my first charity. We give scholarships to kids to go to college, have since 27 years with Warren Moon, yeah. given 
thousands of them, changed lives here in America. But I'm a man of more than enough. Why not give your money to both? Yeah. Like who said that you have to give or take one? Or the, and yeah. it's this philosophy. And I have had that. It's like, hey, I'm doing the law, but I want more money. So I'm going to sell tennis shoes. Hmm. Right. Right. And then that ends up somehow leading me to, hey, do you have any uh, sales experience? Yep. Because you're going to be selling. Well, actually, I do. Yeah. And they're like, you woke up at four. And I, and I showed them, look, I'm a yep. top sales guy. I made more selling tennis shoes than I did as a legal clerk. So would you know, Again, something that, that's very unconventional for someone who goes to law school to say like, hey, let me get an entry-level sales position to develop that skill. It feels like really great advice to tell young entrepreneurs or young people entering the workplace to go across silos in your business field and learn different skills that's going to benefit you during the, on the long run. It's just difficult to do. I guess one of the, the biggest... Uh, inhibitors of of such as ego. Yeah, of course, fear or or their expectation. For three years, I kept three letters on my business cards. I laughed at myself today. ESQ. Like I couldn't let go of the fact that people didn't know that I went to law school, passed hmm. the bar. I yeah. was a real lawyer. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't about my mom anymore. It was that I was sitting in law firms selling lawyers, and I felt that they were looking down at me. Because I was so, and meanwhile, I was making three, four times as much as any lawyer out there. Yeah. And I I was young, but I had that ego, even to the point where until I finally realized with the, the boom that I better brand myself a technology guy and get put, take off the ESQ because that's not going to help me anymore. And, and I, I bet where we're going to take this now, it's just one of the more seminal moments in your personal and professional life was this moment of bankruptcy that you, you mentioned. And that's probably where you learn the most about yourself and the ego and interpersonal skills and empathy and compassion oh, and yeah. just being present. So like what happened there? So it's interesting because I'm going to give greater clarification than I normally do. The, the real moment occurred about two years before the actual bankruptcy, yeah. right? Because bankruptcy takes time. Mm -hmm. So two years before I was out of control. I wasn't happy. I was empty. I surrounded myself with people that weren't working, that had too much money, and that were self-medicating in a variety of different ways to make themselves happy. Nothing I had done in order to get me there, but now I was searching in the wrong places. Instead of searching for expansion into my beautiful family that I had and this wonderful stuff, I was searching in the wrong places, and I was filling voids with the wrong things. I came home at 5 in the morning after lying to my wife. I was at the Grammy Awards with Little John. I already had been working for Lee Steinberg. And I had come home uh, intoxicated. And I had lied to her and said I had a business meeting in Orange County because that's where I, I was commuting from Rancho Santa Fe. And she obviously knew I was lying. And she probably knew other lies that I had been telling her. And I walked into this beautiful courtyard, four-car garage, the glass doors. And there she is, five feet tall. And she looked at me and she said, go upstairs. And when you wake up, we're going to talk because I'm not happy. I get joked up still about this one because, first of all, you know, not taking the tension out, but I thought it was a, in my mind, I'm like, oh, thank God she's not telling me I have to take care of the kids. <laughs> right? That's how lost I was. So yeah. I go upstairs, sleep, wake up, come down. She's crying. And in my mind at that point, I'm saying to myself, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean I'm not paying attention? I'm not taking care of things. I'm a bad person. I'm a liar. Right? All the, like, what are you talking about? Look around you. 
This is literally the mindset I was in, and it wasn't the mindset that got me there. It's the immediate defensiveness, right? Projection, right? Blame, shame, and justification. That's, it's called below-the-line living. Mm -hmm. And then she held me accountable, and she said, well, you have a choice to make. She said, I'll be here, but you have to go back and take stock in who you were and what you want to become. And I want you to write it out. So I, I was terrified. Nothing. I was Midas. I think about my life. Right? Literally, very few bad things had happened mm -hmm. for a person that grew up with nothing. Mm -hmm. Right here's it's Midas. I mean, if you, my wife is gorgeous. My girl, I had three daughters at the time. Huge home, like mm -hmm. Ferrari, a port. I mean, I can't tell you. I and I was unhappy for the first time. Yeah. So I go back and I outline my values, and I come up with you know gratitude. You know, it yep. gave me perspective, empathy, which was forgiveness, and I needed a lot for the idiot I was. Accountability, mm -hmm. you know, everything was mine, mm -hmm. and then effective communication, yep. being inspired, living inspired. I wasn't inspired anymore. You live an inspired life. Yep. I do now. So, what makes it difficult when I tell people that bankruptcy was the moment, it really was that moment that then led to a really interesting situation. Hmm. I was living my life in the right direction for two years, but I had created all these bad causes. In a pragmatic world, right, I now had to pay for not paying attention, lying, not being accountable, all the things that I was living by. And so I ended up in lawsuits. And, and, and the truth about my bankruptcy, and I went through this today, you, you, know, you keep unraveling what you black out about sure. yourself. And you try to be honest. But I remember, you know, my bankruptcy, I, I didn't owe anybody anything. So I ended up walking, I could have kept my house. Yeah. I, I walked away from all, over $100 million in property. I just said, you know what? Let everyone take their, their properties back, make their money. I couldn't borrow against it. But in my mind, I had reached a point in that bankruptcy of, I want to start over. I want to move, right? I want to get rid of this lawsuits and the emotional drain of legal malpractice from my lawyer and these people attacking me and everyone saying, you know what? Take what I have. Yeah. And I'm starting over at zero. Yeah. And... That to me, it, and it terrified my wife, right? Because yeah. I have a life partner yeah. and I literally said, trust me. She said, why? I said, gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication. I did. I, go, How? I made a million dollars in nine months. I didn't know what I was doing. I know what I'm doing yeah. and I'm living the right way. And you're going to be so happy. You're going to be so happy. I promise you, just give me a little bit more time. Yeah. And she did. In business and sports, we do a lot of maintenance and preventative work. And as we discuss the crossover techniques from sports to business to now personal, I've got a new sponsor of the show that can add a preventative layer to you. Hair loss. It's actually easy to prevent if you get started early. Introducing Keeps, a new company offering a simple, clinically proven, affordable way to stop hair loss. And with Keeps, it's easier than ever for guys to keep their hair. So here's the scoop. Keeps offers the only two FDA-approved hair loss products, which again are clinically proven to keep the hair you have. They're digitally first. So you can sign up in less than five minutes and cost only $10 to $35 a month. So it's a dollar a day or less on average, which is half of what you typically pay at the pharmacy. Now, here are the details. Once you get situated online, a licensed doctor remotely reviews your information and gives you the right prescription, all without ever leaving your couch or chair or office you get the point. Within two to three days, a three-month supply of your treatment will arrive perfectly packaged at your door and you're off. Now, here's the call to action. You can stop hair loss today the easy way with Keeps. 
offering customizable treatment plans with only FDA-approved hair loss products for about a dollar a day from the comfort of your couch, chair, or office. You can receive your first month of treatment for free. That's free. Go to keeps.com forward slash Rabel. That's keeps.com forward slash R-A-B-I-L. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash Rabel. Keeps. Hair today, hair tomorrow. It, it's, uh, it reminds me a little bit of what Jim Carrey uh, is quoted for saying at a commencement speech, which was, you know, he wished that he could, and I'm paraphrasing it, switch places with anyone who wanted to so that they could immediately experience that fame doesn't bring happiness. And he said if there was one thing that he could wish upon anyone who wanted fame was that they could get it immediately and experience that it doesn't change anything. In many cases, it makes things worse. So, you know, hearing that story, transitioning into sports in your career as an entrepreneur, as you had mentioned with Lee Steinberg and now uh, Sports One Marketing, I want to kind of zoom out and talk about uh, just some entrepreneurial advice. You you mentioned that you, you knew how to do it. You made a million bucks in nine months. Fear not. We will uh, we'll start from scratch and we'll be fine. So to those out there that have a concept or have already fleshed out an idea, product or service, and they're looking to start a company, when you advise as a business coach, what are certain things that have to be in place or must you know be um, um, taken account for? Perfect. Number one, no matter what your idea is and what stage that idea is in, Right? That's the idea of an, an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I've seen it evolve. Is the number one piece of advice is your first objective is to stay in business. Hmm. It, it, it's, a, it's a crucial error that so many entrepreneurs make. Think about all the businesses that you and I know yep. and where they started. Google, PayPal, they started nowhere compared to where they're at today. Mm-hmm. And you know there were indexes and optimization tools yep. and, and they've evolved. They've evolved. Even Qualcomm has evolved. Yep. But if you just focus in on staying in business tomorrow, that's all. If you're always in business, you're going to get there. Hmm. Some people can get there faster than others through skills, knowledge, desire. But you will get there. Some companies get to a billion dollars in nine months now. Yep. Some, it took 100 years. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They all have one common denominator. They all stayed in business. The second thing is, how do you stay in business? Yep. million great ideas. You need a direct path to revenue from what you're doing today. Foremost, get out of, it's like sports. Why did I get into sports? Because Lee Steinberg had this great line. Great business, Dave, because you can make money off the irrationality at that time. This is not sexist. The irrationality of middle-aged men. Mm -hmm. He goes, take this piece of paper, put Paul Rabel's signature on it. And I can sell this to an irrational middle-aged man yeah. for a lot of money, <laughs> right? The reason they're sending you all this free stuff. Yeah. It's irrational. Yeah. Well, that's because people buy on emotion for logical reason. Mm-hmm. The problem, for reasons. The problem is entrepreneurs create business on emotion <laughs> and they don't have the logical reasons. There's only one reason to make something a business. I, I'm sorry. It's to make money. Mm-hmm. Now, where your focus should be on after you make your machine to make the money. And you know, a lot of people have guilt about receiving, and I prove this all the time with di- different ways, but I shifted my focus from the receiving part where I had all these ego problems. I wasn't worthy of it because my mom made 17 grand a year. I made 10 million. I wasn't worthy. She's a wonderful person. I was a schmuck, right? Like all these things in my head. 
I stopped that. I said, you know what? I'm asking big. I'm going to receive everything. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to have a direct path to revenue. I'm going to con- always constantly evolve the path to revenue to make sure it's even bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And then I'm only going to focus my energy. What am I going to do with all this money? And I have a re- reverse tiding that I'm calling it now. My new objective is I want to make so much that I'm going to keep 10% and give 90% of the way. Hmm. 90% reverse tiding for the rest of my life. 90% I'm giving away to empower other people. And that excites me about making more money. Yeah, the, 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 having a line of sight on revenue, critical. And then you've also talked a lot about compassionate capitalism. Mm-hmm. So founders uh, take on the lion's share of, of the work product out of the gates. They live and operate frugally. Then they make their first key hires. They turn into managers. Uh, they're, they're responsible from a leadership standpoint of both professional and personal growth of those that they bring on. Compassionate capitalism feels like it, it, it's complementary to all of that. You want to give us a rundown around you know, how, how you frame it? Yeah, it's, more, it's a world of more than enough. I always say challenge yourself. I mean... If you're going to think big and you live in a world of more than enough, most entrepreneurs are only worried about, one, staying in business, two, growing the business, making more money. Mm. That, that's really a lot. Like, one thing that disappoints me about Bezos is I think he's lost because that's, he's literally only thinking, he's not a compassionate capitalist. He's thinking about how much money I can continue making, how I can make this grow. And what he should be thinking about is challenging himself because he's so brilliant. Okay, how can I not only make money, but help people. And that's the people most relative to you, your family, then your employees, then your local community. Like Kevin Plank is a compassionate capitalism mm-hmm. capitalist. I love how he's built it around his own. And he's changed Baltimore. Yeah. Right? I love that about him. Yep. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like Warren Buffett, that you have to wait and give billions away. That's fine. But his business decisions were based off of helping people and creating business that will inspire people, improve people's lives. And, do, and it's value-based leadership. Do you think that the capital formation for these entrepreneurs, unless self-funded, where you, where you have more autonomy, maybe more stress because everything's on the line? Although yeah. from our perspective as, as entrepreneurs, like I, I'd actually prefer to self-fund and bet on myself then when you see cash in a bank account and it's not yours. Me too. You're like, holy shit. I, I don't want to burn any of that. Yeah. You know, I, had, <laughs> but, I agree. But to, 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 the, to the question, which is, you know, Amazon, public company, there's massive privately funded businesses that are venture backed, private equity backed, you know, have taken on loads of dilution and they have to report to their board quarterly and there are revenue projections that their ass is on the line to hit. So, you know, how do you then function as that operator under that level of pressure where you can be compassionate? Are there like maybe s- smaller ways to do so? Yeah, there is. So I had that job when I worked for PCE phone, right? It was a public company. Pressures weren't mine. I was too young to deal with it. Um, I think when you're a public or a private large company, you only can really inspire within through the board or through your employees, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're talking about being compassionate and and scaling in a different way. Mm -hmm. When you have your own company, right, we can make those decisions. And hopefully, 
as you built the company and took in investment, you've held at least strong on either your values as you took in the money, but it does, it dilutes itself. Yeah. And that's why I, I make a personal decision. I don't want that anymore in my life. I would sell my business after a hundred million dollars because I don't, I don't, and I'd move on to doing something else. And I just know that about myself that I really like to build a value and have a family base. My favorite new company, we, we share a friend, Zach Leonsis. Yep. And Zach told me today, cause I, I told him, if you really want to punish someone, wish upon them employees in overhead. Like if you, you really don't like them, they think you're complimenting them. Like, oh, dude, I hope your company grows. May you have a thousand employees next yeah. year oh. and, and afford all of them. Yeah. You know, please. Right. And they think you're blessing them. Yeah. You've just cursed them. Yeah. What What are the different skill sets that you had to develop operating a company from one to 20 employees, then 20 to 100 and then 100 plus? Perfect. Um, the skill set from one to 20 is persistence. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's gut check. You're grinding. They're the, grinding. They're grinding. They need to see you grinding. Yeah. Then <laughs> the, the big skill set for 20 to hundred is letting go or, or being a manager, right? You, you, you go from being a complete micromanager in control. Everything's on your back to now you have to take the next level and give all these young people around you control mm -hmm. and, and, you're spending your time fighting yourself because you're like, oh, I could have done it myself. It would have taken less time and I would have done it better, made more money. But your business doesn't grow if you don't empower others to empower others and right. go through what I call a learning phase. You, you, you got to make that investment. So you work really hard to make all this money from one to 20 and you, your EBITDA is, is really high per employee. Then it goes down from 20 to 100. Why do you think so many to, to the back end? And I said plus 100, it could be plus 5,000. Yeah. Why do you see so many CEOs where you, you have these like serial CEOs of public companies that come in and do such a good job? Um, and, and you mentioned Kevin Plank and, and how uh, commendable of a job he's done building that company from scratch, taking it what it is today. It's very rare. You usually replace the CEO. Mm -hmm. same, same thing with Steve Ells and, and Chipotle. And you, just, you can go down the list. So th those are very rare exceptions. Um, what is it about the serial CEOs that come in for companies that are in the Fortune 500? Yeah, so they understand how to... It's situational knowledge, work the nuances between a board. It's a leader now. Yeah, it's just, it's completely yeah, different. Complete, you're, you're not managing. No, you're hiring well below you, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this, first, you have to understand the board for first and foremost. You also have to be a great spokesperson, a brand yourself. Mm -hmm. And then furthermore, it's the hires right below you. Because they're running individual business. When you're that big, they're individual business units. Right, so you have little CEOs, yep. and so those are the key hires that make you look like a genius. Which do you prefer? For size? Yeah. You know, I love taking it to 100 employees, like yeah. the 100 employees. I don't want to deal with the board. There's too much bureaucracy. I don't feel uh, like I'm fulfilled. I also, it's too much for me, yeah. meaning I have four kids, a family. I've done that. And I don't like it. Yeah. It may be good for other, you know, the people love Because you have the brand and speaking expertise. Right. And for the board to trust and going out there and. Oh, yeah. I know I could never be. Now, with my brand, I could never be a CEO of a public company, right? It'd be impossible. Yeah. The liabilities and Sarbanes. I mean, it would be ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I also, I found what I love to do. And I want to tell this to everyone out there because they want me to be like you or I. No, no. Please. And you'll get this. Cause this is what made us mm -hmm. find your own frequency guys mm -hmm. and women. 
That's what you should focus in on. You could take certain qualities and say, I want to have this quality or skill like Dave Meltzer or Paul Rabel, but you don't want to be us. You're yep. different. You have an individual foot uh, fingerprint called your DNA yeah. and a different current through it than we do. And you've got to find that current because that's what's going to make you fulfilled. And the happier you are, the better everyone else is going to be and the more you'll manifest for yourself. Yeah, and I was listening to um, one of the hosts on NPR talk to, I'm, I'm, I forget which CEO it was, but they gave the same advice to their daughter around, you know, be careful about who you wish to be and I would prefer you to say, I like this about that person and I want to emulate that. And the, the rationale, which I'd like to add to yours is like, everyone has problems and everyone has difficulties. We don't know exactly what that person's like. One of the hardest parts about going to bankruptcy and the only day of depression I had was one, because and it was weird because my wife's like, what's, what's the matter? This is so not you. And I sat there. I'm like, how, how am I going to tell my mom? It, yeah. it was really weird, but I, I was so afraid of shame for her, for that I let her down. Yeah. That wow, I could have just if I was going to lose it all, why didn't I just give it all to my mom? Mm-hmm. Give her ten houses, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I know she wouldn't have lost them. Yeah. Um, but I remember going to my mom and you know walking in tears. I couldn't talk. I said, Mom, you know, I just want to let you know I'm going to be moving. Um, and, uh, you know, I lost everything. Yeah. Because yeah, at first I was so ego driven, I wasn't telling anyone what was no. going on. And so, Hey, I'm, I'm filing bankruptcy and I, I've lost everything and, you know, I'm not going to be able to support you for a little while. Cause I did, I yep. you know, supported my mom and I was crying. My mom, she said, Oh, she goes, that's not a setback. That's a setup. Hmm. It was the weirdest thing. Like, I was so shameful. I thought she was going to be so disappointed and cry for me. It was like like this Jewish old lady wisdom of, oh, you just lost $100 million in property? Oh, that's just a setup. Yeah. And I walked out of there to my wife. I'm like, are you kidding? She just, like, inspired me that this was a lesson. That's all she sees it as. Yeah. And, and it feels to me like she fell right into modeling those four pillars that we started this podcast with and those that you have built your, your charitable influence on top of. And you're involved in over 100 charities and different projects on an annual basis. Giving's really important to you. It's where you derive a lot of your own personal and professional fulfillment. That's clear. How are you able to do all of that? Yeah. It's a vertebrae approach. And I think it's the most common question now asked of me because my life is so public, like yours, you know, and it's like, wait a second, he writes books, he speaks around the country, he runs all these different businesses, he has a media, right, all this stuff, how do you do it? It literally was step by step, it's a vertebrae approach. So number one, I learned from Lee, I won't do anything unless it has a charitable purpose or a cause. Hmm. So that means that everything I do, it's just like breathing, so yep. that's just a component, just like I won't invest in food or bars. Or and you mandate that with, with all of the clients that you work with. Too. Every single yeah. one. And it's one of the biggest blessings. Um, then what I do is I shift the paradigm of value, which was the hardest part. 
and people explain it in different ways. But when you truly are of service, you wake up in the morning like I do and pray to God that he puts 10 people in front of you, you can help. And you shift the paradigm that all I want to do is provide value, be of service. Now, that's where compassionate capitalism come in. I like to make money. You know me, Paul. I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. When I say I'm of service, that means I'm going to use my potential to its highest form, to its highest vibration. One of my skill sets is making money. I'm going to make a lot of it. It's what I do with it makes it charitable. Question. Are you hiring? We are. I think always. Because hiring is like fundraising. You should always be in it, as the timing of getting the right candidate can often be unpredictable. QN ZipRecruiter, which we use. As every business needs great people, and they have the best, from my perspective, most technologically advanced ways to find them. ZipRecruiter built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. Through inputs, they learn what you're looking for, identify people with the right experience, and invite them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. That's amazing. That's the most difficult thing about hiring is the time gap. They close it. Bottom line, and to my original point, the right candidates are out there, and ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, because you're a Student Up podcast listener, you get to try ZipRecruiter for free. So why not? Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash C-R-O-S-S-E. Again, ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. It's the smartest way to hire. How do you, amidst everything that you're involved in, we, we, we spent some time on the bankruptcy moment, but now with the moat that you've built, how do you choose when to step away? And then when you decide to step away, when you do, what, what kind of steps do you take? So you're made by the people you say no to. So you have to know your foundational values, your personal values, your experiential, your giving and receiving. I'm very clear on those. But one thing that I've done over these years is I've created overlap agreements. Hmm. So, so many people uh, have different interests. And what I did that was a little bit different over the last decade is I've codified the interests of others and I've categorized and siloed them so that if someone comes to me with an opportunity, charitable or business, that I immediately have that key guy to push it off onto. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested, but let me introduce you to so-and-so. Hmm. And I have a network that's so extraordinary because as I've not only developed relationships by being kind of my future self, asking people what I can do, letting them know what I can do, I also let, you know, just categorize, okay, this guy is interested in this. Oh, that person likes, you know, charitable causes in Berlin or, I mean, this is just weird people. Yeah. And so I will it a lot as you get requests, I'm sure online, I'll say, look, I personally have, you know, four children right now, only one's in college, and that's not something uh, that I do, but can I introduce you to so-and-so, they'd be happy to help you. And it is a goldmine, because I feel as if that's just as much service uh, as I can. I, you know, they created a Dave Meltzer Sports Law Excellence Fund at Tulane, and I sat down, and they want to have, you know, the legacy committee for how my giving is going to go to my favorite place, my favorite law school. I think it's a wonderful school. You know, but I had to tell them, look, number one, there's only so much I can give. I'm still paying, you know, my daughter got a partial scholarship. I'm still paying tuition to you. Yeah. So it'd be foolish for me to give too much. I'm going to give, yeah. but here's what I can do. 
Yeah, it reminds me what we talk about here and having that next step mentality. Uh, a lot of people, especially the latest decade of romanticizing entrepreneurship, you know, uh, aspire to be an entrepreneur. And you're given you get you, the best road to doing so is finding great mentors and working for one. Then you learn. But but the biggest thing that we look for when interviewing candidates or when we have inter- interns in house is like, are they going to by intuition or by curiosity and asking us how? take a task and then say, okay, I finished this task. What most people do is turn it in versus thinking now, what would Paul want me to do with this? Oh, thank and, you. And that next step. And, and to a degree, it reminded me of it is you had said like, well, maybe this opportunity isn't for me for a number of reasons, but let me do something additional and pass this person along to someone that I know. The extra miles empty, man. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so, and people do that for you. It's amazing today. I won't mention names, but a, a company that so many people would want to work for. The, the EVP emailed me, Hey Dave, do you know a junior marketing person, you know, for $60,000? Yep. I'd like to know who you recommend. And I'm thinking they must get thousands of, of re- it's okay. the end of the school year right now. Yeah. How many kids are applying? This is a great company. Yep. Very well known. I'm thinking how many resumes, but yet because of the energy and what I've done and provided and meanwhile, they're giving me an opportunity, what, to give a great gift to somebody. Yeah. And, and my guess also is, is you're, you're very in tune and aware that your recommendation and your reference point is very valuable and you take that seriously. So if someone's going to ask for a reference and you're not you know, certain that, that they're going to follow through or be a nice fit, you're not going to give it to them. So being diligent and disciplined in that regard, a, a question for you on uh, this network that you've built and it's definitely a personal one. I suspect those listening might have the same, but do you just have photographic memory or do you have a CRM that you build? Like do you, do you, you know, is it's, it on oh, paper? Is it a Rolodex? Great question. The biggest lesson or advice on that is be a student of your calendar. And I, mm. and I, and I want to change and make sure you heard me be a student. That means study your calendar. I will tell you, here's my weird memory. I will look over my calendar in the morning when I say look over, and I'll forget in 10 minutes what the heck I'm doing at 12.30. Yeah. But if I'm a student of my calendar and I start looking and say, okay, I'm going to be at Paul's office at 6 p.m. today. And now what can I do to help him? What am I going to go in loaded in my gun of Arsenal saying, hey, Paul, you know, I, I had breakfast uh, with Zach. You know, can yeah. I, can, here's another one. We, you know, do you want, would this help you? I have this media thing going on. Yeah. Can you join me? Here's the eSport thing in China. Would you be interested in joining me? Like this was all in my mind. Yeah. Now I'm not going to forget the appointment. Yeah. Well, I, I do the same thing where Lee taught me when you meet someone, take his card or give yours and write something that you remember, you know, so it's Paul Rabel, lacrosse hero. Yeah. Like that was the first thing. I'll never forget you. Then it goes to this charitable thing. What, what does Paul do? What's he working on? And it just keeps going in my mind like a little computer. Mm. And I will do search in Outlook when I can't remember a name, but I remember there's someone I know. And so I'll do these weird searches and outlooks. I save everything in Outlook in the calendars. Yep. So I'll search it and know by notes and whatever, okay, that's the person that can help this person. That's great advice. Do you have different um, consumers that you speak to in a different manner across platforms? Take YouTube, take podcasting and audio, and, and, and you're nodding yes. So then which, <laughs> which are you uh, spending most time on right now? Uh, for me, Instagram, yeah. Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Um, 
the, here's what's interesting about traditional today, and it won't be this way in 10 years, but you know, I'm on Fox Sports and NBC Sports. I got regional deals for my podcast, which is mm -hmm. televised. So this, you know, this or ours would, you know, will be up there. These young guys that are around us filming, they're like, Dave, bad move. Nobody's going to, you're not going to get any extra followers. And I said, hold on a second. You're not getting it. What's going to happen is people listen to me and I say, hey, they put my show on TV. Yeah. And I have all this credibility. It's going to make people want to listen to it on the, the way that they live. They'll never watch it there. Yeah. They don't own cable, right? Yeah. And it worked like a dream. Yeah. And it's amazing. There's still a place, you know, to get credibility, but eventually it's all just going to be data that's streamed. So, the, so, so you feel like there's no cannibalization of your content. Get it out there. Make sure it lives natively and it's uploaded natively to those mediums. You don't want to link to a single source. No. And, and, and trust your process. Trust your content. Have a savvy level of cadence in your posting schedule and build. And I don't, I don't sell anything, right? I, I believe in a strategy of ask and attract. Right. So at worst, I make people aware of my charity and hope that they donate. Right. Yep. So text five, 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 eight, 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 yep. 50 for 50. That's what I like people to do. But I'm not, but my books aren't for sale. In fact, anyone that requests a book from me, I send two and I pay for it. Hmm. That's best marketing dollars you can get. As we started this thing, it was wonderful to, to, to get in touch in person and do this as a long time coming. I, uh, I learned a tremendous amount. You see my notepad is scribbled as, as always and um, look forward to continuing to build our relationship together and hopefully many more podcasts and content. Yeah, well, I want our first business project so we can make money together. Let's do it. That's a true marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. If you enjoyed Dave and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. The mission of his worth reiterating, he says he strives to make a lot of money so he can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Our Twitter handles are at Paul Rabel. His is at David Meltzer. Be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one -on -one conversations with other entrepreneurs and authors like Dave, such as Scott Galloway, Gary Vaynerchuk, Adam Grant, and Sam Walker. All of those are personal favorites. And all of those, plus more, are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, when you find us, please locate the subscribe button and click it. It does us a big favor. Thank you. There's a shortcut to our show notes at studentuppodcast.com. And of course, finally, a special shout out to our show's sponsors today, ZipRecruiter, Saks Underwear, and Keeps. Until next time, everyone, have a great week. <laughs>